So, a uh, couple of things. I know there's some gardeners in here and just some, maybe there's a lot of opportunities for you. In my trailer outside, the door is open. It's full of pails that we use that were used to tar the whole thing. Um, if if you want to take as many as you can, because it will fill my dumpster, and I don't want that to be. I can't afford to do that. So, does that make sense? So, buckets, five-gallon buckets. Um, they may or may not come clean easy. Sounds like they chip out. It's plastic, so eventually it'll come out very easy, but that's something you got to think about and work through. So, buckets out there, take as many as you want. Take all of them for all I can, please. Uh, the more the merrier. <clears throat> all right. This morning we are going to continue about what... So all this is in um, the... Uh, Theology of vocation, all of this that we're dealing with is still in the theology of vocation. How many understand that? So, so in the paper, we have a whole section on calling, the calling of God. What is the calling of God? And that's what we're going through is the calling of God. This is not original with me. These are not my notes. These are a book that Dr. Bowder wrote that Preet and I were able to edit for him. A little bit, um, and it was, uh, we loved it, and um, so all this can be yours. If you, how many have a piece of paper and pencil or your paper, your thing? This is a book called Finding God's Will. So, Finding God's Will by Kevin Bowder. Finding God's Will by Kevin Bowder. And here's the big good part. It's free on Kindle. So, it's a free book. You can get all these notes there. Uh, they won't be in note form. They won't be in outline form. They'll be in a book form. Um, I'm just PowerPointing it. So, you can get this. You can read everything he's got there. I think there's some excellent stuff. And today we are going to give you an illustration that he used, um, which is very helpful um, because it, it brings to light, hopefully, some issues that we all face. So we are dealing with co the calling of God. What is the calling of God? And how do we know what the calling is? We already know if you're a boy or a girl, a dad or a mom, a, a son or a daughter, a grandparent, whatever, those are all callings. If you're born again, that's a calling of God. All right, all these things are callings of God, and you know He has called you to many, many things. And the one thing we don't know when we're especially young people is what am I going to do the rest of my life? What's going to be my job? What am I, you know, what, what is my vocational work going to look like? How is God going to allow me to minister in what area? How many understand all of that? That's all what's packed in here. And this is chapter 4, and we need to start with what you know. You will never know God's will unless you obey what you do know. Is it God's will for you to be a man? Yes or no? You're a man. 
that God's ruled for you to be a woman, yes or no, if you're a woman, okay? These are callings of God. Start with what you know. Start with what you know. What does that look like? God will always accords with Scripture rightly understood. In other words, God's will is totally and absolutely and without any uh, vibration or flatter at all, it will always be scriptural. It will never go against scripture. Um, the demons told me, no, they didn't. <laughs> um, these, these ideas that, that we're going to get some extra information somewhere else is just ludicrous. It's wrong. It's absolutely unbiblical. Believers who want to know God's will must be prepared to do God's will. God does not want someone who says no. <laughs> he doesn't want that. He wants someone to obey and joyfully obey what he desires for them to do. Believers who don't, do not, <clears throat> believers who want to know God's will must be prepared to do God's will. And we're going to see in these illustrations coming up here that that isn't always true. There are people, Christians don't always want to do God's will. Oh, they want to know it, but then they can have their decision of what they want to do. Does that make sense? <clears throat> we talked about Proverbs and the fear of the Lord is beginning of knowledge. God refuses to answer those who call upon him without first seeking him. Person who understands the fear of the Lord is the one who finds knowledge. The fear of the Lord involves hating pride, hating arrogance, and the evil way. It is the beginning of wisdom. In essence, God wants you just to be us all to just be humble servants of His, whatever that may be. The fear of the Lord gives His people strong confidence, is a fountain of life. We talked about this last week. It precedes instruction and wisdom, just as humility precedes true honor. It leads people to depart from evil. It tends towards life. It results in settled satisfaction and spares one from calamity. Humility is the real key to all of this. Now, this is where we begin a new section, if you will. It's, a new, it's not a new chapter, but it's a new section, and I think it's important that we discuss this and deal with it. Submission in action, just not just rhetoric. What does that mean? Submission in action, not just rhetoric. Right? Don't be a stinking politician. They're worthless. How many understand that? Do what, and it's not, in general, that's true. There are some good politicians I don't know if you've listened, I, I was telling, talking to Gabe this week, I like to lay down in bed because about 9, 9.30, I'm getting earlier and earlier as I get older and older. I don't know why, but <clears throat> I like to listen to the debates on the congressional floor or the Senate floor, and Josh Hawley and the guy from Louisiana what is his name? How many have heard Josh Hawley? Spectacular debater. Spectacular fighter for the truth of God's word and the church, truly. That's his big thing. What's the guy from Louisiana's name? 
No, he's from Ohio. If you have not listened to the guy from Louisiana, you need to. Louisiana Senator, he is, he needs to be our next president, I'm telling you. Unbelievable. He's very kind, very generous, but yet brings out facts that embarrass people. What's his name? Nope. It's it's Kennedy. Kennedy. Yes. Senator Kennedy. Yeah. Anyways, they're not all no action and just talk, but we need to be that way. If we're going to, yeah, I believe the Bible, I'm a Christian, then be that. Then be that. Don't try to, you know, let somebody else do it. Don't do that. Submission in action, that's what God wants. He doesn't want, yeah, 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 and we're going to see a guy that that's exactly what he did. Yeah, 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 whatever, but I'm not, no. And then there's another, yeah, I'll do it, and didn't do it. (laughs) Matthew chapter 21, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If we are not genuinely interested in doing God's will, then God has no reason to help us discover His will. Amen? If we're not willing to go, then just don't. God directs those who are willing to obey. Matthew chapter 21. <clears throat> Scott, could you would you be willing to stand and read that? Oh, oh no, no, that's okay. Uh, just, just here's what you do, Scott. Here's what you do. just put your two thumb and finger on the thing, and then expand the text. <laughs> Twenty-eight through thirty-two. All right, so what is this telling us? What's this parable telling us? Everyone who professes to be willing really is not. True? Is that exactly what happened? The guy said, yeah, I'm going to go and never showed up, right? So, He talked the talk, but didn't walk the walk. We've heard that before. Everyone who professes to be willing really is not. They have a, they're, they're, they're a, a, I don't even know how to say this anywhere really. They're full of baloney. They just, they, they, they like to hear themselves talk and think they're wonderful and great and perfect and all this, yet, When it comes down to it, 
they're not there. I was just talking with a friend of mine. Church is 150 people. Saturday, they have one Saturday out of the year where they have a big church work day where everybody can come and work. How many people do you think show up? 15, so 10%. 10%. So the reality is there's a lot of this and, and not enough worn out shoes. You're not going to know God's will if this is all you do. You're not going to. You haven't, God doesn't want that. He doesn't desire that. He wants somebody that actually does what he says he's going to do. So the father told his two sons to go to work in the vineyard. The first son refused and said he would not. However, he then came back and did it, right? The second son said he would, but he never did. So everyone who initially resists obedience may ultimately be willing. True? Those are the principles. Now, by the way, a parable is pretty important. How much can we go into a parable and find truths and nuggets and, and things? How many understand what I'm asking? You can take a parable way too far. Yeah, it, there, usually it's got... Matter of fact, we were taught it only has one thing. I don't know that I agree with that, but it has just a general thing, not or things, possibly, not intricacies. Matter of fact, I guess the best way to explain it is how many can explain to me what the Trinity looks like? People want to take an egg, a shell, you know, it, that doesn't work. You be they all break down. Every single one of those break down. You just can't do it. All even parables break down when you get into the intricacies. Uh, that, that's not the point of them. It's to drive home a point or two, generally, not multiple. So, the point of the parable is that not everyone who professes to be willing really is. It also implies that not everyone who initially resists obedience is ultimately unwilling. Um, matter of fact, I think there's a, another parable about this, the guy that bar, built a barn. What, what, is, what about the guy that built a barn? What, what did he do? So first do what? Not that one. Count the cost, right? The counting the cost of building the barn. What, what does it cost? Now, there's, is there time for that? Is that a wise thing? Certainly. But we need to be counting the costs. And, and this guy, obviously, oh, I'm going to go. He didn't think about it didn't, and just didn't show up. Probably was playing too many games or something. I don't know. Maybe he was hunting that week. I, I'll, I'll, I'll just put out, push on myself, right? The reality is everyone who professes needs to be willing to do it. It's not just rhetoric. 7 is another one. John chapter 7. <clears throat> uh, Mr. John chapter 7. Mr. Gaiman, could, or Mr. Gaiman, Mr. Zarin, would you please, could you read that chapter? Yeah. Yes, please.
That's good. Thank you. All right. Thanks. <laughs> All right. What is this talking about? First of all, did Jesus just, was he submission just in rhetoric? Did Jesus talk about it? He talked about it, but he also acted. He did it, right? He worked. So let's turn your attention to verse 17. 
17 tells us the divine origin of Christ's teaching would only be recognized by those who what? Those who wanted to do God's will. It's not about those that have the right words. I will tell you, and Amy can back me up on this. I think if my wife was here, she could too. But there's a lot of Christian school kids that come out with, they all come out with the right words, but not the right heart. They know how to say it. They know how to talk about it. They, why? And uh, Why is that? <laughs> to be honest with you, I think it's because of how they were taught. It's memorization. It's not understanding the principles. It's, it's, but regardless, I can't know all of it. Reality is they know what you want to hear, but they don't live what they know. Does that make sense? Divine origin of God's teaching would only be recognized by those who wanted to do God's will. I want to do something. I want to minister. I want to serve. I want to love each other, love people. Verse 19, verse 16, I should say, that Jesus replied that his teaching was from God. It's interesting, in that text, I am doing the will of the one who sent me. He could, have, could he have said, I am God, you listen. Why didn't he do that? And, and the text is saying that over and over. It's not my time yet. <laughs> it's not my time yet. If he would have said that, his ministry would have been over. So here's the deal. Did Jesus lie when he said he was doing the will of the one who sent me? He didn't lie, but he didn't tell all of the truth, true, in that he is God, and then eventually that came out, right? But that was at the right time. But regardless, then in verse 17, um, the divine origin of the teaching would only be recognized by those who wanted to do God's will, verse 17. Then verse 19, he's very clear, his critics had received God's law from Moses, but they did not obey it. What is that, what's that saying? Yeah, they were hearers, but not doers. They were, they were the Christian school kids of the day. True? They, they had all the language. They had all the rhetoric. They could, they could debate with rhetoric, but it didn't, what they knew here didn't reach their heart. It didn't reach their life. They weren't doers. They just are talkers. It's all they ever were. And these were the critics of God. But if they were doing what the, the law was saying, in essence, this is your life, serve one another, love one another, they'd understand where he's coming from and they would follow him and love him because that's exactly what he ministered and how he ministered on this earth. Only those who are willing to obey, to obey God, can know his will. Does that make sense? 
You need to be obedient if you're going to know God's will. Because why would he give and, and give talents, give gifts, give greater ministries, and whatever, if you're not obeying where you've been called already? Does that make sense? It's, and we're going to see this, by the way, with Jonah. He, some of the very principles that we're talking about this morning are going to be found in Jonah this morning also. So, Jesus was saying that their unwillingness to obey God disqualified them from recognizing the divine origin of his teaching. Only those who are willing to obey God can know his will. If that is so, then how do we judge whether we ourselves are really willing to obey God's will? How do we know that? The person who is willing is not the one who professes to obey, the one that actually obeys. Our willingness to do God's will becomes evident only when we actually do it. By the way, can we judge actions? Can we judge thoughts and hearts? Can we judge actions in that aspect? Yeah. Do we know the motivations behind them? Okay, good. So we can judge actions, and we are to judge actions. If your son or daughter is out there in the bar scene being drunk, we can judge that and say, he needs help. I need to rescue him or her, right? I need to do something. I need to intervene. It's actions that we can judge. We don't know why they're doing it, but it's actions. If we refuse to obey what we know the Bible teaches, then all of our talk about doing God's will is simply false. It's a sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. It's like, just shut up already. I I want to hear it. I want to hear it. What's the obvious question? How can we obey God's will before He makes it known? Think about that and give me an answer to that. How can we obey God's will before He makes it known? Yes. Okay. And, okay. Yep. Is there, there's more. Okay, faith, not my will, yes. I'm sorry, I'm getting an allergic reaction right now. <laughs> it is the season. What else? How can we obey God's will before He makes it known? Here's the reality. It's a false question. Why? 
Exactly. It's a bad question because you already know part or some of God's will. True? You already know you're a male or a female, a mom or a dad, a parent, a student, an employer, employer. You know all those things. You already know God's will partially. And by the way, all of us know God's will partially. But the reality is, the more you're submerged in His Word, the more, if you're being obedient to it already, you're going to be given more. The man with the talents. Don't hide it. Don't just... I can see, I can just see this guy, the Muppets, you know. Right, you want to hit him. Shut up already. Do God's will. The answer to this question is painfully simple, though, really. God has already disclosed His will, or most of it, in a clear and objective manner. The text of Scripture is written to make God's will known. At minimum, the teaching of the epistles apply directly to the church saints. All of them do. God has surely made His will in general clear enough for any believer to follow. Amen. So the question is, are we really willing to obey God's will? Are we really willing to? From what I hear, I have never been there and I don't have not researched it, but from what all the mentors I've talked to are telling me and other people are, Christianity is on the rise in Africa and on the decline in America. Why is that? Someone was willing to go. Amen? Someone was willing to go. I'm not saying taking Americanism to Africanism. not saying that. I'm saying taking the Scripture the Scripture, the Word. The Bible does not give us direct personal guidance for every possible decision. Should I eat this Twix or not? I haven't had one for six months. Corey says no. My wife says no. <laughs> Thank you, Bob. I love you. <laughs> no. But the reason they say no is for good reasons, okay? I'm not disparaging that. But the Bible doesn't say, uh, John 38, 2, thou shalt not eat Twix. It doesn't say that. But there are principles that we need to pay attention to, right? That guide us. We might not know every single little detail, but believe me, we have got to start applying what we do know, because we certainly know. And I will tell you this, you as Northland, we as Northland, know a lot of Scripture. Every preacher that comes here, every one of them, they are well-educated people in the Word. I hear that consistently. Well-educated people in the Word. 
So we do know God's will. The issue is, do we do His will? That's the issue. If we know that we are disobeying God's revealed will while we are pretending to agonize over His individual leading, then we're guilty of flat-out hypocrisy. True? Professing Christians play this game. I want to give you an illustration of Dr. Bowders here, and I told you this morning, this is, I, I thought this was so good that I, I just don't want to manipulate it and get it wrong, okay? Dr. Bowder was a pastor down in Texas for a while, and this is what he wrote. He said, when I was a pastor, I once had a woman come to my study to ask whether God could lead her to marry a divorced man. I told her that Christians take different views of divorce and remarriage. Is that fair? It's absolutely fair. And I tried to give her the categories for making a wise and biblical choice. She was quite upset with me, even the most relaxed understanding of the biblical text. She saw it as an impossibly narrow. In other words, she wanted to get married, and she wanted to find a way to do it, and the Bible wasn't helping her. I'm going to understand that. Well, it gets worse. Later, I learned that she had already been sleeping with someone else's husband. She was actively trying to destroy his marriage so that she could capture the man for herself. She never had any interest in doing God's will, even though she initially pretended to. I mean, this is a true story, and we can see how that Christians do that all the time. Pastor, we're not the pat, not Pastor Muller. Please do not get me wrong, but a pastor near where I grew up. Divorce, sin, divorce, sin, divorce, sin, divorce, sin, divorce, sin. Wicked, terrible, terrible. If you're divorced, you can't do this. If you're divorced, you can't do that. Just divorce, bad, 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 bad. All the time. His daughter was in a bad marriage, got a divorce. Guess what? My daughter needs to remarry somebody now. You have lost all credibility when you do that, by the way. But that's not the point. The point is, we as Christians have our own will, as Josie was talking about, not mine, but thine. And we like to read our narrative into the text. Our desired narrative. How many understand that? And we do it way too often. Way too often. Now, on my view of divorce, listen, I tell people all the time, listen, there's good Christians on both sides that have great arguments. So I'm, I have deference to different opinions. But my opinion is God hates divorce. That's my opinion. And the reason it's my opinion is because the text actually says it. What does that mean? Well, that's a huge discussion, right? And we've got to balance these things. And we have to understand that, you know what? There are ways, matter of fact, John Gruden just, just has published something not too long ago about he, he believes, totally believes, and he gives a very well-articulated argument that divorce is, is um, 
is not only immorality. We know that, right? That one's a given. Uh, but he has gone into this where he believes um, abuse is also, not just horrible physical abuse, but all types of abuse are means and grounds for divorce. The reality is there are we don't know everything. We need to study it. We don't even after we study it, we might not know. But when you can get there biblically and it's obvious and it's, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Listen, you stand before you and God, not me. How many understand that? I just, I, I will stand before God for how I preach the Word of God, how I raised my family, and for what I have done. You will stand in front of for what you have done. You need to be convinced biblically, not manly. That's another issue. Yeah, I would preach something and some famous preacher said something opposite, so I'm an idiot and don't know what I'm talking about. Well, you know what? Don't follow man, follow the word. Follow the word. Granted, this is an extreme example that we just gave you, right? But it clarifies the point. God is, not, is only interested in leading those who want to do his will. We demonstrate our intentions to God's will by obeying the part of his will that we know. And if we don't have any desire to follow that, then why in the world would he give you any more responsibility? The part that we know is revealed in Scripture. If we refuse to obey what we know the Bible teaches, then all our talk about it is absolutely false. So, are we really ready to do, willing to, be, to do God's will? Habitual obedience will clear up an amazing number of perplexities in our lives. If we are committed to doing God's will, and if we are actually obeying that part of His will, that we already know because it's revealed in Scripture, then we do not have to worry about what we ought to do under most circumstances. How many understand that? So, well, what about the gray areas? Why do we have to talk about the gray areas when you don't do the non-gray areas? I mean, let's just take it right step by step. You know black and white. Don't do that. And then the gray areas become easier. We can simply entrust our paths to God. The person who is willing is not the one who professes to obey, but the one who actually obeys. We are willing to do God's will if and only if we presently are obeying God's will. The principle is quite Simple. If you want to know God's will, then simply start doing His will that's already revealed. Your obedience to that will explode with other opportunities or put you through heartaches until you do obey God's will. Does that make sense? So, by the way, I don't think it's God's will that we eat grits. But is that really true? 
Do you understand? I mean, these little things don't really even matter. That's not what we're talking about. All right. So, do you really want to know God's will? Are you presently trying to do all God's will that you know? Have you been neglecting or disobeying some of the aspects of what you know God wants you to do? How would you counsel a person who claimed to be seeking God's will in one area while fighting His will in another area? So, let's take the last question. How many of you are counselors? How many of you are theologians? Okay, here's the reality. All of you are counselors and all of you are theologians. You all are. Here's a young man or a young woman. They've come to you. I don't know God's will. Tell me the things that you would tell them. We have 15 minutes and I'm not going to all right, good, Josie's correct. The first and foremost and most important aspect of vocation is the calling to salvation. If they are not a child of God, none of this matters. It's all motivated by wrong things. Salvation is the key. Number one, truly born again. Truly born again, good. Next, be in the Word. Let me ask you, are there things in everybody's life you can go to a text for and show them and say, hey, what do you think of this text? <laughs> yeah. So be in the Word. Encourage them. Hey, have you read this passage? It just really grew me. What else? Right. Good. Exactly. Because really, isn't it true that most Christians believe that God's will is like the fair? I can't wait to get there. Well, you got to get there. <laughs> and if you're not doing it right, you're not going to get there. It's not some, that's not his whole entire will. His whole entire will starts in what all these little things that we call little things that are extremely important. Yes, absolutely. Right? Okay, be humble and content where He has you. That's excellent. Be humble and content, especially in our late. Why is that especially hard in our day and age? You've got to keep up with the Joneses. And where do we, I mean, before a lot of, the, of, a lot of what's going on, in our, before our technology, how much of the Joneses did you really know? You know, my neighbors are living in the same swamp I'm living in. 
But, do you see that guy? He's got like a violin for a pool. And it's like a mansion. And, huh. Right? Or even bikes. Got the carbon fiber latest. And I've got the Huffy. <laughs> right? All these things are in our face all the time. Okay? Sure. And when you get there, uh, <laughs> this wasn't what I was expecting. For instance, all of us grew up wanting things. How many would agree with that? All of us grew up wanting things. Do you realize the more things you have, the more trouble and they break and they... Uh, all of a sudden your mechanic bill is up the sky high, the furnace is working, the air conditioner, the central air, the, the slicer broke this... Uh, it never ends. And now you're trying... Now... Who's the slave to whom? Oh, but I got all these things. Not really. They've got you. Is that God's will in your life? This is good stuff. What else? Not being happy in your job, let's take that for a second. I didn't really expound on that. But to be honest with you, I know pastors that just, and, and I bring this up not because they're greater or more important or anything else. It's that, that's the world I grew up in, okay? Those are the friends that I have. I College and seminary and anyways. They wanted to be a youth pastor. For what reason? So they could be a pastor. They wanted a bigger church. For what reason? So they could be head of the organization. They want to be head of the organization for what reason? Popularity, money. I know, to be honest with you, I have it written in one of my Bibles at home, my Ryrie Study Bible, which is like falling apart. <sighs> In that Ryrie Study Bible, I think I got it for graduating from college. I have written in it, or graduating from high school, that's what it was. I want to be a youth pastor that changes the world for Christ. <laughs> it's all I wanted to do. And I was very offended when guys were, well, I just want to be a youth pastor so I can learn how to be a pastor. What is that attitude doing? It what? Diminishes the calling of a youth pastor. Yep. So it affects other people. And what else? That's good. What else? It's all about pride. Absolutely. It's all, it's me, me, me. Yes. Absolutely. And there's something else. So it diminishes the calling of, to a, of a youth pastor, because, and, and that's within that youth pastor realm. It hurts them. 
It, it's prideful, so that hurts everybody. And eventually, it'll hurt yourself, right? But there's one other group that's devastated. You're using the kids. And I think that's the most deplorable thing. You are using, and literally, when you put all these together, you're using the kids because of your pride, because you think you're greater and better of importance. Do you see how that worked? That whole cycle, and you guys knew it. There's probably more, but that's a big deal. That's a problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, any other questions on that? All right, we'll get to chapter 5 next week. <clears throat> Any effort to discern God's leading for particular choices should begin with the question, what are my duties? What are my duties? Each of us owns multiple duties, and God will never lead us to neglect any of them. We cannot rightly plead God's will as an excuse to escape from the obligations that we owe. And I think next week we will discuss that in detail. For instance, does God call you to a job that will pay you twice as much and give you a mo most, and, and, and it, in, in that package is a beautiful home set on a hill full of elk and antelope roam. But there's no church. There's no school. It's in the middle of the year, and you're going to have to take your kids out of school and friends in the middle of the year. What's God's will? How many understand the difficulty of the question? <laughs> so let's just take it step by step. This is part of the next week's service, but that's all right. Let's take it step by step and talk through this. What would you do? Let's think about it and talk about it. Okay. Pray about it, and that's coming up here in two chapters. Prayer is the most important, yes. Good. What else? Okay. But you don't know. I mean, that was my dream since I was a two-year-old, and God put it in my head. No, I, I think Bonanza put it in your head. Right? <clears throat> Good. Go ahead. Any, that's excellent. What else? Yes. Okay, all right, 
All right. So there's a, a specific command, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. How do you do that in total isolation? Let me tell you, I'm going to tell you this. There are colleges that make kids, Christian colleges that make their, all their freshmen, all their, so everybody that's ever been to school there had to read a book written by a guy that isolates himself. Why would you do that? How many understand the, the, the nonsensical aspect of that? What is he going to help you with? Anyway, what? A, yes. Oh, especially in the next six months. <laughs> Let's just be honest. For the year and two months from now, we are going to be pulling our hair out. True? Why? All right. There's an election. Politically, it's going to be a mess. What else? All right. Political flyers, phone calls, TV ads. Facebook, you're going to flip through Facebook and it's all ads, right? I mean, that's what's going to happen. It's going to happen. Folks, I don't know if you know this, but COVID's on the rise again, supposedly. They're already locking down colleges. And, and over, how are we going to do this again? I mean, literally, how are we going to do this again? And how do we even know? Uh, this is like the eighth, I, I read seventh or eighth strand that's, that's really... Um, potent and strong. How do you know? Let me ask. Well, and the reality is they're already putting masks on. They're already doing this, that, and the other. All of them, they're doing that. Here's the problem. Even from the CDC, we know some of that stuff was a lie. Or, or I'll, be, I'll be, try to be objective. Or they didn't know it all at the beginning. And they didn't. And they didn't. But... There are things that are just, we know, okay, that, that your studies show that doesn't work, right? So what do you do? What do you do again? And it just so happens, I mean, this, everything lines up, right? Because it just so happens at the what? At the election time again, just like the riots. And, and we'll see, will there be riots during at the beginning of starting to vote for the president next year? We'll see. There was in 2020. I'm telling you, isolation does look really good, right? But let me ask you, is there a text that says, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Yes or no? Has God called every Christian to be the salt and light of the world? How in the world can we do that in isolation? So, there are multiple 
answers to this question. And, but it certainly is appealing. Um, anyways, all right. Any questions or comments? There's two minutes left. Is this helpful to talk through these things? All of us, every day, will be making decisions. Those decisions better be based on the Word or the wrong decisions. Now, some of them, it doesn't matter if it's oatmeal or cornflakes. To me it does, but to most people it doesn't matter. <coughs> Reality is... What the Bible does say, it does say, and we need to obey what it says and what we know it says. And from there, we'll grow. All right, you are dismissed.